Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. when someone is feeling depressed often that emotional closeness might go that partner might feel rejected physical intimacy might decrease often when people feel rejected and been taught to tolerate vulnerability anger springs up as a secondary emotion and shifts us from feeling vulnerable and small into feeling powerful and strong Welcome to Honesty Box, where we find the answers to the questions you thought were off limits. Hello, I'm Alex Beard and welcome back to Honesty Box at the Balance Club, where we ask the questions that you want the answers to, no judgement and no topic is off limits. As always, if you'd like to submit your own question for this series, you can do so anonymously and super easily at www.thebalance.club. Just click on the podcast option and a question box will pop up for you. The question we're discussing this week is, am I allowed to be angry at my depressed husband? This question really stood out to me because mental health is being spoken about a lot more, as it should be, but I haven't seen as much discussion on how best to help yourself if you're living with someone who's currently struggling. At first, the thought of tackling it made me really nervous, but I too have been in a position of trying to support someone who's going through something and at times felt quite lost in my own emotions. So I think it's really important to talk about this side of it. It's a tricky topic for sure, and that's why I'm absolutely thrilled that we can have a really open and honest conversation on the topic of partner depression with Dr. Sophie Mort, who joins us today. Sophie is a clinical psychologist and has a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in neuroscience and a doctorate in clinical psychology. She left behind her traditional role as a clinical psychologist in the NHS and has helped thousands manage their emotional well-being by sharing her psychological knowledge on Instagram, her blog and through her online private practice. Her first book, A Manual for Being Human, will be published in the UK in July of this year. Am I allowed to be angry at my depressed husband? Now, this question is clearly a really important one and one we want to answer, but it also feels quite heavy to me because I worry it plays into the I'm a burden anxiety that some people with depression might have. And I I kind of want to address that right from the beginning. Yeah, it's funny because I saw the question come up for the podcast and I was like, oh God, this is a tough one. Um, And I suppose um, the thing that I want to say before we even get into it is in psychology there is always what we call a both and answer so the idea that two things that seem like they are the opposite can be true at the same time so immediately with the question am I allowed to be angry at my husband who's depressed there are two answers that I just want to make sure we are clear of before we start talking and that is 100% yes you are allowed to feel whatever you feel in any moment 
and at the same time, no. <laughs> because no one chooses to be depressed. But what I say no is, when I say no, what I mean is directing your anger towards someone who is struggling is not ideal. <laughs> no one chooses to feel that way and therefore directing your anger at them, them is not only unhelpful, it can cause much more distress in someone who, as you've already said, may worry that they are a burden, be criticising themselves already and has not put themselves in that position out of choice. But as a standpoint of someone it's understandable yeah and so i it's so funny when i was thinking about this question i was thinking the place to me where we need to start is what are our emotions does that sound like something you'd be interested in talking about absolutely yeah of course so we don't choose our emotions this is the most important thing for us to know okay so emotions few people realize this but they are physical feelings that arise in our body in response to our brain thinking it's found something in our environment that it wants us to attend to. So for example, let's imagine you stroll into a forest and it's either late at night or you're feeling very alone and you hear a rustle, yeah? Your brain like runs through its memories and like what makes rustling sounds in the woods? If your brain goes, oh, it's a snake, your heart will start to race, your muscles will tense up as you prepare outside of your conscious control to run or to fight for your life should a snake appear. That feeling in your body is what you and I might call fear. So emotions arise outside of our conscious control and they are the physical energy for us to do something. So that's the first thing. Whatever emotions arise in your body, you didn't choose them. <laughs> and therefore it's okay for them to be there. They are messages that we need to pay attention to. And anger is a particularly interesting emotion because anger arises in response, or should arise, in response to injustice. Okay? So if you think back to our earliest ancestors, anger has a really important evolutionary purpose. If our ancestors were kind of sitting around the camp and someone came in and stole all of their resources, so their food, whatever it is they need to survive, much like us in the forest with the snake, their heart would start to beat faster, their muscles would get tense. But unlike fear that tells us to run away, anger says, turn towards that injustice, that dangerous situation, and fight to resolve it. So we might be thousands and thousands of years later, but you and I have that same system. So anytime we see an injustice or feel an injustice, anger arises in our body because our brain is like, Something's wrong and you need to fix it. Here is the energy to drive you towards making change. So if we think about um, being, loving someone who is depressed, who is experiencing depression, the first reason you might feel anger is because you're angry at the world that someone you love is having to go through such a terrible, unthinkable, really, experience which leaves you feeling hopeless and helpless. And you so desperately want to put it right. So anger might come up in your body in that situation because you're like, oh, it's so unjust, this is happening to the person. Now the issue here is that few of us understand A, what anger is, and B, why we feel, like, why we feel anger. So we might notice anger arising in our body and misdirect it or misattribute it to the person who is struggling when actually we're angry at the world and the injustice of them having to go through something. Does that make sense? 
there is also, <laughs> there is another layer to this, which the person who's submitting the question might be like, oh, I do sometimes feel like that. But they might also think, but you know what? No, sometimes I'm angry because I'm like, I got into this relationship and you were a different person then. And I think it's an injustice that our relationship looks different. Again, it makes sense because anger comes up when we feel like something isn't right. But another reason we might feel angry when someone else is struggling is because anger is what we call a primary emotion, as in something that arises when something happens in the world, like an injustice. It is also sometimes a secondary emotion. Secondary emotion is any emotion that arises in response to the first emotion, yes? So yep. for example, I don't know about you, but um, I used to feel a lot of shame in response to um, feeling anger, or I'd feel shame in response to feeling anxiety, because I was raised in a kind of, you should always seem perfect and happy all of the time, yeah? yeah? yeah. And as someone who's had panic attacks, that was a very bad experience at 18 of being ashamed all the time of struggling, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so anger is also a secondary emotion. and. More often than not, when it's a secondary emotion, anger kind of springs up as a guardian to sadness, helplessness, feelings of vulnerability, and feelings of rejection. Now, when I've worked with, so I have to say, I normally work with the person who is struggling rather than the partner of the person who is struggling. So I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you're living with depression, please, please know that you are not a burden that you did not choose this. And that whilst we are talking about anger arising in a partner of someone experiencing depression, the anger is not at you. As I've said, emotions arise outside of a conscious control with good reason. And it's important that the person who's supporting you can identify if they experience this way, uh, feel these things and why they feel these things so that they can acknowledge and deal with this so they can best support you but the anger is not directed at you. And if it is, I am really sorry you're going through this. You do not deserve this. In terms of people living with people who are struggling, there'll be many people who are in that situation. What, what are the pressures that people can find themselves under in those circumstances? What are the pressures that that can put on a relationship? Of the partner? Mm. Yeah, and I suppose... So it's interesting you asked that because how we got here was talking about anger as a secondary emotion, right? And um, in a relationship, when you care about someone, you ultimately want to help them. You want to support them. And I think that is right. You know, um, I read this beautiful quote um, by M. Scott Peck about what love is. And it's the idea of um, wanting to support and commit to supporting another person's um, spiritual growth. Now, I don't think of spiritual in terms of religion. I think of that in terms of their kind of soul or their core or whatever essence it is that you see and you love in this other person. So in a relationship, we want the best for the other person. And one of the reasons, just quickly to finish what we were saying before, that anger arises is when you're dating someone, when you're with someone, there are certain expectations in relationships such as emotional closeness, intimacy, um, and yeah, a way of connecting with each other to ensure growth on both parts. And when someone is feeling depressed, often that emotional closeness might go, that partner might feel rejected, 
physical intimacy might decrease. Often when people feel rejected, like I've said before, if we haven't been taught to tolerate vulnerability, anger um, springs up as a secondary emotion and shifts us from feeling vulnerable and small into feeling powerful and strong. Anger is your guardian. Instead of saying, I feel rejected, we go, I feel rejected and it's unacceptable. Yeah, we turn the problem back on the other person. So one of the pressures on relationship is this kind of a feeling of disconnection, a lack of intimacy, which can lead to the secondary emotion of anger. The other one is the pressure of wanting to offer support and feeling helpless and hopeless and unable to know where to turn. And when that happens again, if we don't acknowledge that it's a kind of vulnerable feeling that we have, anger might spring up in order to try and protect us in inverted commas, but it can end up driving a further wedge in a relationship. I remember um, recently I was going through something um, very difficult and someone very close to me, I was sharing with them my struggles and I was really overwhelmed and they ended up getting, it felt like getting really angry with me. And they were saying things like, well, why don't you just stop thinking about it? Or it sounds like you need to stop thinking about it or you're letting it get under your skin. And I was really shocked and it felt absolutely terrible because this was my time of need. And afterwards I realized, um, and spoke with them about the fact that when they saw me in distress, they felt like their job was to fix it, yes? Was to help me feel better. But they didn't know how. And also I seemed to determine to stay in distress because I think when you're distressed, you don't have to change it. You can sit with it for a moment. And that made them panic and feel helpless and hopeless and they didn't know where to turn. And so instead anger came up in its place and they didn't mean to, but they directed that anger on me. So pressures in their relationship often come up, especially as what I see in therapy around intimacy and this desperate need to try and create change and support the person that you love. And you can understand that. I mean, I, I have been in positions where I'm supporting someone who's struggling and you're often found, I, I find I'm, I'm, I'm a fixer. I know that as part of my personality and, and I, it can be really frustrating knowing that nothing you can do really is going to be able to, to help this person out the situation they're in and the word is you can support but you can't you know like fix and that can that can be a really frustrating time especially if you know depression can last a long time it can be recurrent and so I mean not to to make it about the other person but it can be really hard it can be really hard to be be that person who wants to support but seemingly you're, you're unable to what we know, same as with anxiety, um, and again, so I used to have panic attacks, so I've been the person doing this, but what we know about anxiety and what we know about depression is that when you're feeling overwhelmed, you start to feel demotivated to do the things that you know help you. Actually, if your anxiety and depression is, ex is feeling quite intense, the idea of doing something like exercise, connecting to friends, seeking support, the things we know work and help feel impossible. So as a partner, you're not, it's not just um, difficult for the reasons that you're saying. It can also lead to levels of frustration because you're watching the person you love pull away from the things that you know work. And if you are a fixer, and I do think actually, to be honest, most of us have that tendency to be like, if there's struggles, what can we do to stop the struggles? Because this feels so painful and I genuinely want to help. 
So when that part of yourself, that fixer side, watches someone not do the things they know work, it leads to a, a strong level of emotion. I can't label it because we all experience it differently. But absolutely, partnering someone who's struggling can be so challenging, and I don't think we acknowledge this enough, that my all I actually wrote an article um, on this, which I can share with you afterwards, about nine steps to supporting someone with a diagnosis, with a mental health diagnosis. And the first thing I say on there is, consider your own resources. Because um, depression, it's... <laughs> To be honest, when, it, when someone is feeling depressed, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Someone, people's mental health does fluctuate. Some people who are feeling depressed might feel have really good days and then really bad days. But it's unlikely that it's going to be something that happens for one week and disappears. So if you're supporting someone, you need to identify all of the emotions we've talked about so far, i.e. when you feel frustrated, when you feel angry, when you feel helpless, hopeless, overwhelmed, when you want to run, because that's something we should talk about too, is there is a reality that you, you are likely to think, when should I leave if this doesn't change? So you need to acknowledge that and you need to think, okay, how do I, who do I have as a resource? Who do I share this with? Can I admit to my friends that I'm really angry or really struggling or really hurt? What kind of, um, do I actually need to be the one doing breathing exercises, grounding exercises, meditation? Do I need to go for a run when I feel overwhelmed? Um, because it does start to impact on your own emotional resilience when you're watching someone you love hurt. Well, let's talk about that, that point that some people might get to where they think enough is enough. And it happens. And the, the worst thing about that, I think, is, is how there is no clear path forwards. Because it's um, just so difficult, isn't it? Because if there's someone you love who's struggling and you're worried about their mood, there's so many layers in this, such as, I want to be a good partner. I understand they're not doing this intentionally. I feel guilty and selfish for even acknowledging that I want to leave. Next there is, what if I leave? And it further, um, further signals to them that they were a burden, that they're a failure in that partnership. Worse, what if I leave? And it causes their mood to drop so significantly that they end up wanting to end their lives. So I, I know there's all really heavy topics, but I think it's important to acknowledge them because people are not talking about this enough. But there is a reality that in a relationship, if the person that you love has been struggling for a long time, and also maybe what's interesting is I think your question specifically said, at my husband. Now there is a gender um, issue that we should talk about when it comes to depression because because of the way men have been socialized, um, which is usually men aren't allowed to feel, they're not allowed to cry, they must always be strong and not ask for help. Often um, people of different genders express depression in different ways. So you and I, I don't want to make a judgment, but as people who identify as women, we are most likely to um, have been socialized to believe it's okay to share. Whereas for a man who's feeling depressed, you might notice it in a different way. They might withdraw from friends. They might start using alcohol or another substance in order to manage. 
they might swing into anger and then back into withdrawal. Now, when you're thinking about whether you want to leave the relationship and need to, these are specific issues you're going to have to tackle. For example, is it that it's actually the anger that I can't manage? Is it actually that this person is drinking and nothing is changing? In which case, before you leave, not only do you need to think about what will I do if I leave, as in where will I live, what will happen, you also need to think about your boundaries. So, for example, um, it is very common that if you're living with someone who is drinking or using some kind of substances that they're now dependent on, that you might put down a boundary such as, um, I'm really trying in order for us to stay in this relationship, I really want to stay, I need you to access support, I need you to be in therapy. I will support you wholeheartedly, but for me to stay, I need to see you getting better. So you, would, you can instill a boundary. Then you would have a timeline, for example, as in, I will commit to this for three more months. If in three more months they are not attending those sessions or they're not doing any of those things, and we, I really have tried my best, then I will leave. Yeah, so um, knowing that you've kind of done the best you can is always really important. And are all those, are those steps, do they, they need to be practical actionable things because uh, you know there's no point in saying in three months time I want you to be happy again it's not going to uh, help anyone right it's going to make everyone feel miserable and the person who's already struggling feel much worse often the partner in a relationship just needs to see that certain steps have been taken right um, such as okay that person is now seeing a therapist because also, when you're the partner of someone who's struggling, you are not their therapist, but it is easy to end up taking on that role. Which, again, you asked about the strains on relationships. That can be a real strain on a relationship when it becomes a therapeutic relationship rather than lover, partner, confidant. So with boundaries, absolutely. it's things. Boundaries are often around, for example, how you wish to be treated or actionable steps you need to see in order to remain in a relationship, such as, you know, if someone's angry at you, a boundary would be around, I can't be spoken to like that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah. Um, if... This happens again. So, for example, should there be a huge shouting match, you come home really drunk. If this happens again, X and Y will happen. Yeah. I, I, need, I want to see you feeling better. I need to know that you will be in a substance use group, whatever that is. Yeah. So very actionable steps 
but the outcome isn't I need you to be happier, I need you to be better. And the boundary needs to be realistic, as in if the person is really depressed and is at home in bed all the time, it can't be in three months I expect you to be like in a running club, um, coming to every social event, but it could be um, I'd love for you to have a therapist who really understands you that you feel safe with and I can support you to find that person. It, it absolutely does. I'm just slightly mindful that um, access to therapy is something that isn't always an option for people for, for, for a number of reasons, but often financially. Um, so are we able to talk a little bit about alternatives for people who find that they are not in a position to, to access such things? 100%, absolutely. So the first thing is um, there are lots of really great charities now, especially around men's mental health. And I am particularly coming in on gender here because, like I say, men often aren't socialised to be able to share. And if you are asking them about their health, they might shut down or may respond angrily because they feel vulnerable. So lots of wonderful free men's health groups online that you can Google in your location. Um, And also lots of really good Instagram accounts actually now talking about men's health. Alex Holmes um, is someone on Instagram right now who has a book coming out about um, mental health and men talking. But, and Matt Haig is a really good source of support. I don't know if you know who that person is, but he wrote the book, for example, Reasons to Stay Alive which is just such an excellent resource. If you are a partner of someone who's struggling, sharing that with them can be great. Um, Also his recent book, The Midlight Library, which is actually a fiction book, but is about depression and is about the choice of suicide. And it's so beautiful, I just love this. So first thing is you can turn to free resources or books and audio books that are already available online. Yeah, there are lots and lots of free groups as well that you can meet up with. Next thing is action. So I know it sounds, um, (laughs) this is one of those counterintuitive things where the person who's feeling demotivated is unlikely to want to get active. But what one of the kind of frontline treatments for depression is um, what we call behavioral activation. So it's this idea that you, um, you start paying attention to the times when you feel lowest, and the times when you feel slightly more buoyed up. And then writing down the activities that you know lead to you feeling more buoyed up. So we know, for example, exercise just does make you feel better, right? We know that it causes a release of endorphins and it breaks down stress hormones. So if, for example, you were able to keep track of the things that felt better and then scheduled more of those activities into your day, that is one of the routes to, I suppose, starting to feel more confident about your health. But as I said, you're not likely to feel motivated. So what you do in those situations is you keep a journal. So when I did go for a walk around the block, did I feel slightly better? Oh, I did. So next time when you think, oh, I don't want to, you're like, oh, but it did work last time. Now, if you're a partner listening to this, you can support them with this. So for example, I've noticed that you often feel better after X and Y. How can I support you to incorporate that into your time? And again, remember, someone who's struggling with depression still has capacity for conversation. So before you dive in there and think, I'm going to support you because I know the right way, ask, how would you like me to support you whilst you're going through this time? That is always paramount. Yes. 
So less about prescriptive, more about collaboration. Exactly. Someone who has a diagnosis is still a person. That diagnosis is only one small part of their identity. And really being clear about that and accessing all the other aspects of what makes that person the person you love is so important. And um, like kind of these side-by-side moments, such as we're watching TV together, maybe we hold hands. We go for a walk around the block, we're linked to arms. We don't have to be talking, but we're experiencing this together. Those are going to be really important moments for connection. And if you want to try out what we know we call behavioural activation, it's simply noticing what makes your partner feel slightly better. Getting, um, incorporating it with their consent into their day, as in maybe you go for a hike on the weekend. Maybe the people that they don't feel overwhelmed with um, come over. But specifically the people who are empathic and understand and won't prod. Yes. Yeah. Because often in heterosexual relationships, where the uh, wife is with, um, where a woman is with a man, um, the man often relies as well on the woman for social connection. So, bringing in the people that you know that feel good and feel safe for your partner can be really helpful. Exercise is always a good way, and also lots of positive reinforcement. Yeah. So often what ends up happening at home is there ends up being this real tension. So rather than, so for example, people end up saying, well, you didn't do the washing up, rather than, oh, it was so wonderful when you did that thing, whatever small win it was. You know, there's a golden ratio for kind of positive comments to negative that we always talk about in psychology, and it's five positive comments for one negative. And often when someone is struggling in the house or there's tension in a relationship, that number drops and it ends up being nine negatives to one positive. So celebrate the small wins, lots of positive reinforcement, lots of positives. I'm going to say something and I I hope this isn't taken the wrong way, but I hear things like that and I appreciate that I'm not someone who's currently struggling. I hear things like that and I think the buzzword that comes into my head is patronising. Yeah, oh my word, absolutely. Absolutely. But all of this is like, we talk, everything we're talking about right now is a fine line, right? Like as in, uh, positive reinforcement without being patronising is a very hard line to walk. You don't want, and, and people pick up on feeling, on, people know when they're being patronised. Like if you're like, oh well done, you picked up the flannel and like scrubbed the thing. I'd be like, if someone said that to me, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I'd be like, fuck off are you kidding me i'm an adult woman i can fucking wash dishes so again this is a case of (laughs) every person i don't want to say couple because people are in throuples and all sorts but every partnership will have their own way of navigating these kind of things and so if you feel like it would be patronizing to be like oh it was so great today when we went for that walk just notice have i said more negative things today than positive what are things I can genuinely compliment my partner on, right? Because there are things all the time that you can say, like, oh, you looked really sexy this morning, yes? <laughs> like, I can say that and know that I mean it if the person I feel that for, you know, was looking sexy this morning. But it would be, um, it would be insincere of me to positively reinforce stuff that I know that the adult person that I am dating 
can do and will feel hurt by if I say things like yeah. that. Yeah. Context and reading your own kind of the language that you use within your relationship is key to this, isn't it? You don't suddenly start treating someone like they're a toddler because they're suffering, but <laughs> you've got to you've got to find the wins at the same time. I think what's really important here is when people are um, struggling, they're already their worst critic, right? So in their mind, I've, I've yet to meet someone who's going through a bad time who isn't also thinking, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, I am X, Y, burden, for example. And I suppose when we're talking about this positive reinforcement, I'm thinking, how can we as someone's partner be the antidote, the compassionate voice to their inner critic that is no doubt around. That doesn't mean being unboundaried, right? Then this is again one of those fine lines, you know, nuance is we don't go, oh darling, you're having a bad day, I'll do everything for you. It's a case of um, I'm here for you. I may not be able to understand exactly what you feel, but I really care and want to help. Um, How can I support you today? Okay, if I do dinner, do you want to do X and Y? Because again, remember, if behavioural activation, as in doing the things, is what helps people feel better, you need to find that fine line of creating a low-stress environment in the house, whilst also not taking away all of that other person's activities, because it ends up being a kindness that's harmful, and ends up being patronising, because again, what you're saying is, it's not a toddler in the house, it's a human person who's having a bad time, who just needs the right support. But again, there's so many resources available online for how to support someone who's struggling that if you can't access free therapy, that doesn't mean that all the options aren't open to you. Other options, sorry, aren't open to you. When I was researching this, it struck me as how mental health is still very, is treated very differently to physical health. And as much as if you're caring for someone, if you're a full-time carer for someone who has a physical illness, you know, there is access to respite care. You are much more allowed is the wrong word, but it feels like you could say, I'm struggling more, I need a time out. And it's more sociably acceptable to say that than if you are living with someone who's currently struggling with their mental health. It feels like that conversation isn't as easy to have as it is with a physical illness. And yeah, I mean, I take it as far as to say it's still quite taboo. The fact that both you and I looked at this question and went, ooh, this feels heavy, just, just proves it. Because and, and I'm pleased they asked this question because it's so many people will be feeling it but feel they can't say it. How, how do we re- redress that imbalance of the support given to people supporting people with mental health is not the same as physical health? I do think... It's important that podcasts like this exist where we talk about um, how important it is to be honest that when we're caring for someone, and I don't mean caring, um, I mean literally loving someone who is struggling, that it takes a toll on our emotional resources. There needs to be more of a discussion around this. Um, And it's interesting because I have actually been the partner of someone um, who... Um, had a clinical diagnosis of depression and as a psychologist that's very interesting because I beat myself up so much because I was like I should know what to do I am I literally have a PhD in this like how can I not know what to do Um, but the reality is like I could I could sit here with you and say do x y and z it's so much easier said than done 
The reality is every relationship is different. Every emotion you experience, yes, might have a reason, but might feel unreasonable, and you end up in a loop of, now I feel guilty for feeling this, now I feel like I can't share it, now I feel trapped. The only way forward is, are these kind of honest and really, really difficult conversations. So for, I was really lucky that totally by chance, I ended up opening up to a friend, saying, you know, my partner's really struggling, and they were like, oh my God, thank God you've said that. My partner also has a diagnosis, you know, a clinical diagnosis of depression, and I feel angry so much of the time and frustrated so much of the time. And part of me thinks if I made a terrible decision being in this relationship, whilst other part of me is like, but I love this person and I need to try and I believe that it is worth it. And honestly, I used to go around there and we used to, depending on the time of day, have coffee or have wine. <laughs> And we would kind of cry and laugh together. And it was so interesting. That was the most useful resource out of everything. It wasn't reading the right stuff to do. <laughs> it wasn't the, like me going for a run. It wasn't any of the normal self-care strategies. It was having someone to sit with and just go, this is shit and we don't know what to do. So having that non-judgmental sounding board, basically. And I'm laughing because I just remember how bleak those conversations were but how utterly cathartic and supportive they were. And I am very mindful not, that not everyone has a friend that they're able to share that with. So if that's you, um, one of the first places that I think is really useful to start is if you feel like it would be so taboo to admit that you need support or so taboo to admit that you need respite a weekend off, start by writing it down on a piece of paper. Or start by saying it to yourself. Now, the next thing people normally think is, but if I write it on a piece of paper and someone sees the piece of paper, oh my word, they're going to know I'm a bad person. Okay, so firstly, you're not a bad person. But write it down on a piece of paper and shred it. Yes, write it down, rip it up. The more you practice saying these things, the more you get used to it. Then either say it to a friend or, for example, go online, like I say, and look for a support group or some kind of... Um, could even be an Instagram community, to be honest, of people talking about this exact thing and start uh, feeling out whether you could have those conversations with those people instead. Yeah, people who don't know you, who have no connection to you, your relationship. I mean, that is the beauty of the online world, isn't it? The beauty of the online world is that you can dip your toe in and disappear and no one knows who you are and it's fine and if it doesn't work out for you, step away no repercussions it's 100% and and it's so interesting because the purpose of this this conversation is i suppose practical right am i allowed to feel this way yes <laughs> identify why you feel this way and meet that need and also what do i do if someone's struggling it's practical but the reality is when you're feeling frustrated when you're feeling angry and someone says all you have to do is like support them and do this you, you can end up being like i don't want to Yes. You're not listening. It's really hard. So, like I say, like for me, I would have been frustrated. I would have been angry as hell hearing probably all of these things. Like, what? Well, I have to do more. I'm already struggling. So, yeah, it may be that if you're listening to this and you're in this situation, what you really need is a place to vent and have no one say, I'm going to fix it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sophie. That was really eye opening and an honest discussion. As always, Thank you for listening and we'll see you back here next week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.